Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We're going to jump right in because this is a very important conversation that we're having today. Uh, I would ask you right now, which I don't ordinarily do in an adamant way, Please share this video, okay? Uh, so many of you are listening to it on the radio. Those of you who are watching it on social media, whether it's Rumble, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, share it, okay? Because we all need to know what's going on. We don't want to get bogged down in all the this, this one said this, this one said that. This is going to be a very intelligent, respectful conversation about a very relevant topic, which is the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. So we have on to talk with us about it, uh, Alec Torres and Father Gerald Murray. And like I said, because, you know, we don't want to get caught up, Joe and I, and we want this for you. We don't want you to get caught up in a lot of the back and forth that's going on out there. This is going to be a very even keel conversation. I'm going to keep the bios brief, uh, but most of you know Father Murray and Alec very quickly. Father uh, he was awarded a doctorate in canon law in 1998. He served briefly as a judge of the Metropolitan Tribunal, Tribunal before him being named pastor of St. Vincent de Paul Church on West 23rd Street in 1998. Currently, he's the pastor of Holy Family Church in Manhattan. Many of you know he's appeared all over the place, uh, television, radio outlets, EWTN, EWTN Spanish, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC. Father, we'll forgive you for going on MSNBC, um, Radio Maria, Fox News Radio and the voice of America. Alec Torres is a 2013 graduate of Yale University. He's the co-founder and president of Allograph Communications and Design and a former speechwriter for President Trump and for congressional leadership like Kevin McCarthy. He's the author of Persecuted From Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church, which I needless to say is a very relevant book to this conversation, a lot of what's going on. Now, I will mention, by the way, that Bishop Joseph Strickland uh, did endorse the book that I just mentioned that was written by Alec. Uh, he has written over 125 sets of remarks delivered by President Trump, multiple number one best-selling books, as well as op-eds that have appeared in top national publications. Father Gerald Murray, Alec Torres, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe, friends. Thank you, Joe. Thanks Great so much to be with you. Absolutely. Uh, so, Father, real quick, can we hand it over to you uh, to uh, to lead us in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give, Give us, us this day, day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Pray for us. 
correct. So real quick, obviously, uh, for those of you just joining us, we're being joined by Father Gerald Murray and Alec <laughs> Torres. We're discussing the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. But obviously, uh, there's a lot going on. The news moves pretty quick. Um, many of you might have heard out there, and I want to just start the conversation briefly on this. Um, Cardinal Burke evidently is going to have his salary removed um, and is losing his apartment. That was reported. Well, you know what? How about this? Just to bring everybody up to speed, I'm going to hand it over to Father Murray, and he can bring us up to speed on that and maybe some thoughts about that. Yes, uh, Raymond Cardinal Burke is uh, the former head of the Apostolic Signatura, which is the Supreme Court of the Vatican. He was also uh, the cardinal patron of the Order of Malta until that job was taken away. He has currently has no assignment. Uh, he is over 75, so uh, no assignment is required. But uh, he lives in Rome in an apartment, uh, basically that's on the back of St. Peter's Square, where a lot of other cardinals live, uh, and he receives a salary as a cardinal. Well, the Pope at a meeting on November the 10th, I believe it was, with heads of the Roman dicasteries, the departments, uh, uh, announced that he was going to uh, remove the cardinal's salary and then also take away his apartment. And he said, according to reports, and these reports are not rumors. Uh, this first broke on an Italian website, the New Compass. Uh, it then was reported widely in the Catholic media. The New York Times has uh, taken up the story. And the press spokesman, Matteo Bruni, was asked about it, and he said, I have nothing more to add on this matter. So that's what we call a, a non-denial a non affirmation. So it's happening. Uh, Cardinal Burke has said nothing about it so far. But uh, from a canonical point of view, it's very strange uh, because uh, in canon law, priests are owed a salary by their bishop. And for a cardinal who works for the pope and is close advisor, even in retirement, likewise, he should receive a salary and a place to live uh, so that he can carry on duties that would bring him to Rome. But that's all apparently been taken away. And the reason the pope said was that uh, the cardinal creates disunity in the church. Uh, I, I, I would debate that because unity in the church is not simply based on not annoying the Pope, but apparently the Pope has taken it that way. Alec, quick comment from you, and then we'll segue into Bishop Strickland. Yeah, it's, it's uh, well, Bishop Strickland and Cardinal Burke, it kind of feels like a double punch to the gut here. I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, these are two of the names that, uh, you know, Catholics, faithful Catholics that I know, myself personally, we know and love these folks. And uh, overall, especially with Cardinal Burke, it just seems petty. Uh, that's the word that keeps coming to my mind. It, you know, he's he's a 75-year-old man, just on a human level. You don't take away somebody's, somebody's salary and apartment who's 75 years old, uh, you know, just trying to live out their lives, especially one as important as Cardinal Burke, who has good work to do, still left in his life. So uh, I think it reveals a lot about the Pope's uh, um, character, frankly, and, and a lot about how he uh, he approaches those who don't agree with him on every single line that he that he wants. It's a very sad thing, uh, and it really just calls me to want to pray even more for the Pope, for Cardinal Burke, too. You know what it is, guys? Yeah, I'm going to hand it over to Joe, all right? Um, I, I feel like, you know, Joe and I are from North Jersey, right? Um, you know, I've been in union meetings in my life. It's like when the guy gets up at a union meeting and, and wants to voice an objection— and then the guy running the meeting just says, oh, have him removed. I'm, I'm sorry. That's the way I feel. 
I feel like, you know, I, I look at it this way for Cardinal Burke, and then I'll just put a final, uh, put a lid on it, um, is that I find that Cardinal Burke has been nothing but respectful, both in the form with which he's questioned things. Obviously, Father, you know better than anybody, to Dubia, if, if, I'm, if I'm stating that correctly. I think that that's proper form. Um, and, and I'm not a theologian, but you know, like that's the way it works in the church. You ask questions if you have a if you have a concern. Um, and those have been basically dismissed. Um, and I don't feel like he's being treated very respectfully. I feel like like that union meeting. I feel like he's just being removed. Well, have him have him removed, and let's move on with the conversation. And I'll be honest with you, it, it's 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 frustrating. Like Alex said, it's like a double punch in the gut. But let's leave it there on that because there's a lot more to talk about. Joe Rosinello, uh, where do you want to go? Where do you want to start? Well, what I think makes this conversation unique, a lot of people have commented on it. We have Alec, who is a bright star in the church. Alec, I don't want to embarrass you, but you are, and frankly, and you're our friend. Um, and he's a new convert, and we have a canon lawyer. So I want to begin the conversation. He kind of alluded to it, his feelings, how this like basically is viewed through a convert's eyes, because there's a lot of people out there like Alec, who, frankly, they come into a church based upon the belief of what's written down. I mean, you don't buy a car without knowing what you're getting. Now, Alex is a smart guy. He knows what the church teaches, and he believes it, and he's in the church. And then this happens. And then you say to yourself, well, here's Cardinal Burke. Here's Bishop Strickland. They're kind of saying what the church teaches, and they're losing their job. So, Alec, you begin the conversation, and then we'll kick it over to Father, who's a canon lawyer. I think that's a good place to start, and I think it's a good twist to what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Just so folks know, I converted back in 2014. Uh, so I'm coming up on the 10-year mark, actually, this coming Easter, which, uh, you know, for me feels like a good long time, but in the life of the church, it's just a drop in the bucket. Uh, and and I would just say, you know, I know I know you mentioned to folks that I wrote that book, Persecuted from Within. I don't want folks yeah. to think that I'm I'm filled with pride over here. Like I, I as convert know exactly what people should do and how they should act. There's a very good reason why me and my co-author wrote it about the saints. You know, we're trying to tell people what they did, not what we think, because frankly, I don't know better than the next person. I'm trying to look to the past. And that's what kind of kills me about all of this, because as a convert, I really did need to. I started from zero. I knew barely anything about Catholicism when I was growing up. You know, I thought they were weird. That was about it. That's all I was told. So I've been digging through the past trying to figure out, okay, this is what the church teaches. And it's really beautiful when you look at it from just an intellectual historical lens. Yeah, there's a ton of messiness, but the same principles, the same teachings, the same facts keep coming up over and over and over again. Maybe explained in different ways, uh, you know, maybe maybe shown to people and lived out in, in different forms and in different times, but it's always the same faith. And that's frankly what I loved about it coming into the church, because the world today is completely liquid. I mean, there's nothing to hold on to. The news is changing by the second. Our culture is changing by the second. Technology is changing by the second. And if you're just a normal human being who wants something to hold on to and all this swirl and craziness, the church is right there and it's supposed to be a rock. And what, what kills me about all of this is that I joined the church because I was like, finally, something that, that is true, that says the truth and that won't change. Except that apparently a lot of the leaders in the church want the church to change too. They want the church to just be some sort of, you know, felt banner wearing, you know, uh, vestiment wearing uh, a version of the world. That's it. You know, add a little guitar, 
you know, throw in a little uh, uh, holy water here and there. But really, you're getting what the world offers you with a church veneer. And, and I never wanted that. And I don't know a single convert, frankly, who has wanted that. Nobody wants to go to Sunday morning to hear what the world's preaching, but what Jesus kind of added in. And, and that's what kills me about all this. No, absolutely. Father Murray, your thoughts? No, I agree with Alec, and that's very true that um, there are churchmen who are trying to change things in the life of the church. Others are defending Catholic teaching. Uh, and part of Catholic teaching is that those that want to change it, it's out of their power. They can't do it. Uh, as I've said elsewhere, you can change the words in the catechism, but that doesn't change the truth that's taught by those words. Uh, so the new teaching is you know, false. It's an imposture. has to be turned aside. Uh, the debate, of course, is right now going on. Uh, does, is the Pope allowing or even sponsoring things that are attacking uh, Catholic doctrine and that are rendering the church weaker in defending the truths of the faith? Cardinal Burke uh, and now Bishop Strickland have both suffered as a result of doing just that. That's not a bad thing because saints, through their suffering, give us an example of the truth of the faith. But it's disconcerting to the average believer. Uh, I'll just say this, for instance. Everything that Cardinal Burke and Bishop Strickland have said would have been uncontroversial during the reign of Pope John Paul II, uncontroversial during the reign of Pope Benedict XVI. Now it's controversial. What happened? Uh, essentially, Pope Francis has said that the church needs to change certain things. Uh, he's taken some actions. We can look at them individually as we go along in the conversation today. But uh, to object to things that either are changes or will undermine teaching because they look like they're a change, that's, a, that's what a loyal son does when his father is erring. So I think what we've got here is a situation in which the average person in the pews is scratching their head saying, no, wait a minute, I never heard that before in my life. Now I'm hearing it. Uh, who's, who's right here? Who's wrong? And Cardinal Burke, I think, understands his duty as a cardinal is to advise the Pope. And you, Joe, you mentioned earlier the dubia. The first set of dubia, the Pope never answered. Uh, we have to remember that. The Pope of dialogue, the Pope of I want you to speak with gospel frankness, shut down the conversation. The second dubia were answered uh, by uh, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, now Cardinal Fernandez. The answers weren't very good. And Cardinal Burke and his colleagues sent a second set of questions. So it, that's how things work in, in life and in the church. We shouldn't be upset that people who try to change things and pretend they're not doing it somehow get called on the you know, called on it by someone who's bright and intelligent, and then suddenly they get upset and say, well, get this man out of the room, as you said, Joe. Yeah, and well, listen, that's why we, we're having, Joe and I are doing our best, you know, to have conversations like this so that, you know, people open their eyes, at least at least to know what's going on. Sometimes out there in the Twitterverse and everything else, people are just kind of like, could somebody please explain to me objectively what the heck is going on? And that's why you guys are here. If you're just joining us, uh, we're being joined by Father Gerald Murray and by Alec Torres. We're discussing, we started the conversation uh, originally because we wanted to mention Cardinal Burke, and he's been coming up. But the main topic of the conversation was the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland um, from the di uh, di uh, Diocese of Tyler, Texas. So, Father, let me let me stay with you a second, okay? You're a canon lawyer. Again, I want to emphasize the point here. I know maybe, maybe ad nauseum that this is an objective conversation. Father, we love having you on the show. But today, it's 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 your being a canon lawyer, a voice of reason, saying this is what 
the church teaches. This is what's going on. This is proper procedure. Talk to us about the procedure for removing a bishop, and if this violated any of those of those um, uh, of the canon law. Yes, the uh, the removal of Bishop Strickland was not carried out according to canonical procedures laid down in the Code of Canon Law. Uh, a bishop is removed uh, or loses office de facto if he commits uh, a cr ecclesiastical crime, schism, heresy, apostasy. Uh, there are other crimes that he can commit according to canon law and lose office. If that is happening, uh, there's a canonical procedure to verify it. So you, you, there are two ways in the church to uh, accomplish an investigation and a determination whether something wrong has been done. One is called a judicial process. It's similar to what we have in our court system in the U.S., uh, where you have a judge and you have a prosecutor and you have evidence gathered, you have a right to self-defense, you have access to the evidence. The other is an administrative process, uh, which is basically, it doesn't involve a judge, it involves a church authority, and he can uh, conduct a similar investigation. But you always have a right to self-defense. You always have a right to know what is the charge and what's the evidence that the charge is based on. And then you're allowed to give a response. Well, none of this happened in the case of uh, Bishop Strickland. He's been accused of no ecclesiastical crime. Uh, there was no judicial or administrative process. Uh, Bishop Strickland, of course, is a well-known figure in the media. So, uh, of course, people who not disagree with him say, well, we already know what he thinks. You can't do it on that basis. You have to find out. You have to make a specific charge. And then he was simply, it was announced following an investigation because the Pope sent two bishops to investigate him in his diocese. Uh, and then the next thing we know, the Pope, it's announced on the Pope's website, the Vatican website, that he's been removed or taken out of his diocese. It would, he, no decree was issued, uh, no uh, identifiable charge that he'd been found guilty of. Uh, if, if a decree was issued, uh, he has a right to contest the decree uh, now, it, 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 there are problems in canon law because if the decree is issued by a lesser authority in the Vatican, then he can appeal it. If the Pope issues the decree directly, there's no appeal. But nonetheless, the Pope is taking responsibility for his action and giving us an identifiable reason. None of that happened. What did happen, uh, and then I'll toss it back to you, Joe, is the nuncio called him into the Vatican's nunciature in, in Washington and asked him to resign because, among other things, and Bishop Strickland said this in an EWTN interview, he was, did not support synodality. Uh, he was not in fraternity with his fellow bishops. Um, now, wait a minute. Neither of those things. St. John Fisher wasn't in fraternity with his I fellow was, English Father, bishops. I was just thinking that. I'm reading Joseph Pierce's History of uh, Faith ah. of Our Fathers, History of True England. I was just thinking that Bishop... Um, Go ahead, Father. I'm sorry. No, no, I'll just finish it here. The idea that uh, if I don't support the synodality, that I'm somehow I'm doing harm to the church. Well, wait a minute. There are, there are tens of thousands of people who are knowledgeable who find this whole procedure very questionable. And the Pope himself said last August that many bishops don't know what synodality means. So if this thing is a matter for discussion, don't say you're guilty of giving the wrong answer in the discussion. So I think he's been a victim of a canonically suspect procedure. 
defective is the right word, defective procedure for reasons that are not sufficient to remove someone. Alex Horace, your response. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's very good that you started this out saying we want to be completely fair to the Pope, right? This isn't a Pope bashing session. This isn't a session where we come and we bash bishops or anything like that. But we also have to be, we have to look at things with clear eyes, right? And, and the way that I see it, you can either imagine that the Pope is is just unintelligent, frankly, saying he doesn't understand what he's doing after all of these years with all of the actions that he's taken now culminating with these actions against Bishop Strickland and Cardinal Burke. Or you can say that he's being malicious towards these people. Uh, I, I, I don't really see two other ways to read it. And, and I think that it's actually disingenuous to call this Pope unintelligent. Uh, I think he's an extremely intelligent man. I, and and frankly, it, however scary it might be, I do think he knows what he's doing and intends to do what he's doing. Um, now, that doesn't mean we have to disrespect him. That doesn't mean we don't we don't acknowledge his proper authority as the pope. Uh, but it does put us in a very strange situation when it seems like those who are most orthodox are the ones most likely to be persecuted by the authorities within the church. Uh, you know, everything should should be the other way around, right? It should be the Orthodox are, are pushing against those who are, uh, uh, you know, trying to change church teachings and correct them, you know, maybe in a very pastoral way, maybe directly at different times call for different measures. Uh, but we seem to have the reverse. And uh, and, and for Catholics, it's, it's a tough situation because there really is no authority, at least here on earth, above that of the Pope. So so we're left uh, in, a, in a mode of having to really just wait and pray and wait and Pray. Uh, but I do think that you were completely right in mentioning uh, St. John Fisher there. He's one of the figures that we researched over in our book. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that says that you as a bishop have to agree with everything else the other bishops said. And just so people know the background there, you know, St. John Fisher was the only bishop in his in the entirety of England who disagreed with uh, King Henry VIII on whether or not he was allowed to divorce his lawfully wedded wife and marry somebody else. Right. That is Catholic teaching. You can't do that. If you try to do that, it's called adultery. What he did was he lined up with Catholic Church teaching. He lined up and he agreed with every single other saint in the church, the bishops of the past, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the perennial teachings of the church, and that he disagreed with his brother bishops in his uh, uh, in his country. Uh, that's that's actually a sign against those other bishops, not against him. So, so the church is in some democracy here. We don't just take a vote and see, even if they have red hats, even if they're bishops, it doesn't matter. It, what matters is the true teachings of the church. We could talk to you guys for for hours. Um, so we want to keep it moving. I, again, I don't want to get I don't want to get too bogged down because just that topic alone, all right, uh, um, on St. John Fisher and 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 history is where I was going with that. Is it should be a sign of hope for us. This is not the first rodeo. This is not the first go around when there's problems like this in the church. Um, yet the church, as you said, mentioned earlier, Alec, you know, the church is that is that rock. You know, while the while while the while the while the waters are raging, the church is firm. You know, uh, and 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 never just moves with the water. So again, we could go on for hours, but let me hand it over to Joe. He'll keep it moving. I, I want to kind of piggyback on what you said, Alec. You mentioned uh, possible reasons why uh, the Pope is making these moves, and he's made many. Uh, Cardinal Sarah, Cardinal Mueller have been removed from prison, and Father Murray could get specific in terms of their responsibilities. They're sort of were put on the sideline. Similar type of thinking 
these these men. And this is my and I hate to be a pope splainer, as I call it, but this is kind of and because and, and I'll tell you why the pope should be clear. I've said this to my wife from the very beginning. Any leader, whether you're in charge of crossing guards in a town, you're clear. I work in a company. When there's some type of rumor, the managing director calls us in a conference room. He says, this is what's going on because he's a leader. There should be no ambiguity. There's too much of it. That's point one. But point two, and this is my take on it. I think the Pope looks at someone like Strickland, like Burke, and says, I don't disagree with what is on paper. I disagree how you're communicating it because it's not effective. Now, what I would say to the Pope, if that's the case, I respectfully disagree with your approach because the spirit of Vatican II, and Father Mary can elaborate on that, and I'd like Alex's comments on that, doesn't work. It hasn't worked for 50 years. Um, clarity is important. Now, that doesn't mean you beat people over the head with it, but it seems to me it's a, it's a, in a basic model disagreement. I don't agree with your approach to communicating the faith. So therefore, I'm taking you out because it's hurting the faith where I would disagree with that. Respectfully, if he was my friend and we were having a cup of coffee to the Pope, I'd say, listen, I disagree with your thoughts on that, not the teaching, because I don't think you disagree with the teaching. You just don't like the way that they're communicating it. First, Father Murray, then Alec. What are your thoughts? Am I off? Am I being too kind here? Because Joe Fazil and I, sometimes I'm always the one trying to explain what the Pope is thinking, but I shouldn't be doing that. He's the Pope, but first you. Well, I think there are substantive disagreements. It's not simply the manner and style, Joe. And I say that because the beginning with Cardinal Burke's uh, disagreements was on Amoris Laetitia and the idea that uh, the Pope said that some people who are in a second marriages, which are really adulterous, uh, can be given Holy Communion. Then it went on to the death penalty. Then it went on to the discussion about uh, God wills all religions, as he signed a statement in Abu Dhabi to that effect. Now we have uh, the tolerance of those who promote the homosexual lifestyle. Uh, because the Pope, in the Duvia response to the Cardinal, said that pastors should find ways to bless couples, persons, it was the word they used, uh, who are in these relationships. And that's that's really what the crisis, if it was merely a question of substance versus style, uh, or style things, you know, some people like John Wayne, other people like professorial Wayne to get make movies, you know, <laughs> great, pick your movie. But when it comes to the teaching of the church, when there is a fundamental disagreement, this is where I would say to the Pope, Holy Father, aren't you concerned that if you really agree with Cardinal Burke, nobody thinks that? Uh, you know, aren't you concerned that people uh, are worried about your promotion of the homosexual lifestyle, but that you're not really you're not promoting it? And for instance, this came out uh, just the other day uh, that there was a letter from the Cardinal Secretary of State, Cardinal Paroline to the German bishops telling them that homosexual acts are always immoral. They can't be approved of. Well, then why did Father Martin and, uh, get a audience with the Pope and get letters of, of promoting his, his uh, homosexual lifestyle mission? Why is Cardinal Hollerick, the relator at the synod, when he said and never, de never denied 
or retracted that church teaching homosexuality is wrong. So this is where the lack of clarity is, I think, based on the fact that the Pope is not supporting these teachings in the way that Cardinal Burke and others expect him to, and he's resentful that anybody is criticizing him for it. All right, so we're going to take a quick break here at the front line with Joe and Joe. If you're just joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, we're being joined uh, by Father Gerald Murray and by Alec Torres. Alec uh, is the author of the book Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church, which was endorsed by Bishop Strickland. Um, Alec, uh, aside from the who published it, where, where can our audience members buy the book? Yeah, certainly. It's uh, Sophia Institute Press. I recommend people go straight there just because it's a good Catholic publisher. I try to get it from the source. If not, you can also find it Barnes & Noble, Amazon, you know, stuff like that, any, any good bookstore. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to just take a quick break here. Remember, please, if you're watching this video on social media, if you're listening to it on Veritas, please share it. This is a really good conversation. Joe and I were excited to have both Alec and Father Murray to talk about these very important issues and things that are going on in the church. When we come back, I want to start the conversation by going into a couple of actions of both Bishop Strickland and maybe one other bishop that I'm thinking about, um, about their actions and what maybe, uh, you know, what's riling uh, the Pope a little bit or Rome. We're going to come right back and we'll talk about that. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We're discussing the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. We're being joined by Father Gerald Murray uh, and Alec Torres. Alec, I want to stay with you for a second, okay? I'm going to throw something out there to you, okay? Um, Bishop Strickland goes and leads a procession at Dodger Stadium, okay? I think that cheesed a lot of people off. I'm going to be quite frank with you. There were 5,000 Catholics. For those of you who don't know, the L.A. Dodgers, they hosted the, the I hate to even use the phrase because it's, it's blasphemous to even say Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, but that's the name of the group. They're, they're a blasphemous anti-Catholic group. The, the L.A. Dodgers basically hosted them, gave them an award, and Bishop Strickland led 5,000 Catholics in a prayer procession at the stadium. Now I'm going to just throw this over to you, okay? Uh, Bishop Robert Barron, okay, for all those out there who like to bash him, he showed up to pray with Catholics in front of a statue that BLM was going to take down. And again, I'm not saying there's a causal relationship here, but it wasn't long after that that he was removed as auxiliary bishop from LA and sent to somewhere, I think, in North Dakota or Minnesota, okay? Uh, now he did get a promotion, all right, and he is still a bishop, but in my gut, as a layman, Alec, okay, I felt like, you know what, I think I think Bishop Aaron cheesed off the wrong people, but what both of them did, and this is where I'm going with this, okay, is they encouraged me as a layman when I see our bishops out there in the public square saying, I'm here to defend you, I'm here to defend church teaching, okay, they did so, and I believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think they're both paying the price for that, Okay, I'll throw it over to you. 
I have to admit, I, I, I can't comment exactly on the case of Bishop Barron, you know, and all these things tend to be internal in many ways. But it is true. If you just look across the board, those who are the most ardent and clear defenders of the faith, they get their hands slapped or worse. And those who are causing confusion or outright contradicting teaching, for the most part, you know, there's there's exceptions to this rule. But for the most part, they seem to be elevated. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Father Martin is a great example of this. Uh, uh, and, and I mean, it happens again and again. You can look at a million examples of this going on within the uh, 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 Pope Francis's papacy. Um, and, and this, I come back to, to, to this idea that the Pope isn't unintelligent. Maybe in the beginning you could do a Pope-splaining type of thing and say, well, you know, hey, different styles, different approaches, here's how it goes. But what we're looking at now is year after year after year, month after month after month, week after week after week, and it seems like it happens more frequently now of confusion at a bare minimum in the most charitable way I can call it confusion being inserted into the church where we don't know where Rome stands, where we don't know where the Pope stands and where it looks like the Orthodox are being pushed to the side where the unorthodox or even the outright heretical are being elevated. And if that happens again and again, you have to make certain assumptions. You at least have to imagine that, that the, that those at the top aren't on our side anymore. Uh, we, as 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 good faithful lay Catholics, which is a terrifying thing to have to confront. Um, so I, I just want to I want to caution people. Yes, we should treat this issue charitably. We should look to our leaders charitably. But I don't think we should just imagine that you know, oh, it's because of bad advisors or or oh, it's just because of style, not because of substance or anything like that. Because if we're ever confronted with the true face of it, if it really is a substantive difference. If our leaders are actually trying to lead us astray in some way, our faith will be rocked if we aren't are, if we aren't willing to confront that. Uh, and and you know it already is being rocked because we see the Orthodox bishops and Orthodox priests being being utterly sidelined or or really just attacked in in a, in a, in a rather vicious manner. Uh, and we got to learn how to deal with that as Catholics. That's something we have not had to deal with in a very, very long time. Yes, we have history to look at, but this is a unique time too. It's at a bare minimum unique for our generations here. And we got to we got to relearn how to toughen our spines and have our faith in Jesus, not men. Have our faith in the church and not just in the men who run the church. Father, I'm going to throw it over to you for a quick comment. Yep, I basically say ditto to all that. That was excellent and. You know, part of the drama that we're facing here is that uh, the Pope has a, a great sense of how to guide events through other people doing things. Uh, and this is, any good leader will do that because you have to have a staff, you have to have people that take initiative and, and take direction. But, you know, the old expression is actions speak louder than words. If the Pope is seriously wants to defend the church's teaching on homosexuality, which is contested by every Western government that I can think of, and is a subject of rebellion, it's been the cause of tremendous sorrow in the life of the church. Uh, and if he wants to defend that teaching, you don't put people who don't support that teaching in the front pews and praise them. And that's precisely what he'd done. Uh, we had this nun who was disciplined by the church under Pope Benedict and Pope uh, John Paul II, and the Pope received her an audience and praised her. Sent her earlier, sent her a letter congratulating for her work. Uh, this, this, you look, see what I do, not what I say, is the old thing they do in politics. Alex worked in the White House and et cetera, you know. Uh, leaders have to take the role in both saying it and then supporting it by their actions. That's what we're asking the Pope to do. 
If you're just oh, joining okay. us, Father G Oh, go ahead, Alec. Go ahead. So I, I, this, I, I think this is a good point for people to understand, too, because there's a sense that you want to be nice or kind. I think this gets wrapped up in the spirit of Vatican II, being pastoral, stuff like that. And and people can try to explain a lot of this away as saying, like, okay, well, we got to reach these people first. And if, and really what reaching them, whether it's the divorced and, and quote-unquote remarried, whether it's people with homosexual attractions, transgender, whatever the, the confusing, difficult situation may be, the way you think to reach them and the way that it seems like so many are surrounding Pope Francis or that Pope Francis praises are trying to reach them is to affirm them first. And that is simply not what we see in the Gospels. I, I mean, it, it's essentially saying that we are kinder. We know better than God. We are kinder than Jesus. And we see Jesus even when he's most empathetic, when he's trying to reach people on their level, like the woman at the well, and he's talking with her and teasing it out and connecting with her on a human level. He still, in the end, confronts her with the fact that, no, the man that you are living with is not your husband. It is absolutely unkind and unloving and unchristian to not confront people with the truth. If you if you don't get to that point of finally confronting people with the truth of their sin, so to draw them to the truth of Jesus Christ, then you're doing them a grave disservice because you're kind of pushing them along on the pathway to hell. There's nothing worse you can do to another human being. And that's, I think, the problem that so many people get into when they get into this, quote unquote, pastoral mindset. They're pastoring people straight to their grave, frankly. Alex Horace, I'm just going to make a quick comment. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. One thing about let's let's talk about nice for a second. OK, I find this conversation to be rather kind. I do. OK, I find this conversation to be rather civil. You know, it's not civil. I'll say it right now. Father James Martin. Now, he does it with the pen. He does it when he goes on certain radio stations and certain certain uh, uh, TV shows and cable news shows presenting himself as presenting himself as the face of modern Catholicism. OK, and he's very vicious when it comes with his words, maybe not with his tone. So he's shrewd like that. But with his words, he's very cutting and he's very vicious that if you disagree with him and his view of things, okay, um, there's something wrong with you. You're the bad guy. You're the evil one. Okay. So I don't want to get into that too much, but he angers me because when you hear about all this kindness and it's all kumbaya and it's all wonderful, okay, the viciousness, the viciousness does not come from people who think the way we do. Just people who are trying to sift through everything and come to some clarity, as Joe Racinello mentioned, okay? We're not being vicious. We're not being unkind, okay? But I will tell you this. I feel like you know, the unkindness always comes from the other side. And I use, I use Father Martin as an example. If you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, now I'm angry, Joe, and we're waiting in the breach with Father Gerald Murray and Alex Torres. We're discussing um, the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland from the Diocese of Tyler, Texas, and, and, and a lot of other things. Um, Joe Racinello. I think the underlying conversation here that's not being said because it can't be said and the people who are making it know it is this. The Eucharist is Jesus, and you can't present yourself to receive it unless you're in a state of grace. You see, even if you in your heart disagree with that, if you're Catholic and you're smart and you're in a position of authority, you can't say that publicly. So what do you do is you create a situation a quote-unquote church in the round, whereby you come into my church on your terms, and I will close my eyes to the fact that you're married to a woman that's not your wife, 
I will close my eyes to the fact that you're not doing something that the church says is a grave sin. And you can receive the Eucharist on your terms. And somehow the church will accompany you on this road and somehow you'll figure it out. Am I off here, Father? Because that's what I have seen. I've actually almost heard this without saying it. You will receive the Eucharist on your terms, and somehow you'll figure it out. I don't think it works, and it'll never work. Am I off, or am I just being me? No, you're absolutely correct. No, what is Holy Communion? It's the true body and blood, soul, and divinity of, of the Son of God made man. In other words, God comes into us. Well... You know, if we have a soul that's turned against God because we're confirmed in sin and we haven't confessed and then removed ourselves from the occasion of sin, we're not suitable to receive the Lord. Now, a large problem in the life of the church now is that uh, receiving communion is viewed as a membership token. In other words, the church recognizes you as her member by giving you holy communion. That's not what it is. Uh, you're a member of the church by virtue of your baptism and your profession of faith, uh, but Holy Communion is only received when you're in the condition to receive it. So this has been a big problem. Morris Letizia, uh was not something that was unclear, according to the way I see it, because after the Pope issued it and people said, well, what is he saying here? The bishops in the Buenos Aires region of Argentina said, quite frankly and clearly, uh, the people who are divorced and remarried could, in certain conditions, receive Holy Communion. And the Pope said, this is the only possible interpretation, and he put it into the official Vatican publication, the Acta, so he made it his own statement. The Pope is quite clear about this. He's wrong. Uh, you know, It's no offense against God and the Church to say the Pope made a mistake here. That's what Cardinal Burke and the others are trying to get at. The Pope wouldn't answer their questions. Uh, Bishop Strickland and others have insisted to the Pope, this is not the right thing to do. And, you know, I was a high school debater, and I know that what, one way you train is to do a lot of reading and studying, because when you make an argument, you want to be able to support it. If the Pope is so confident that the giving communion to divorced and remarried people is according to the scriptures, he needs to explain that to us. He has not done that. That's a big mistake. It's the same thing on the death penalty. The Pope does not like the death penalty. And he said that it's an act of vengeance and it's wrong. And he, and he changed in the catechism. He said it's not admissible. This contradicts the entire teaching of the church. It contradicts the Old Testament. It contradicts the practice of the church. The death penalty was on the, on the Vatican City State Legislature uh, right up until 1965. Now, you don't have to use it, but it's not immoral to use it in the right circumstance. So, these are substantive discussions. The Pope will not engage in them in a way that's satisfactory to, let's say, modern standards of fairness. You know, we're not a democracy, but we're also not a closed-mind institution. Why? What is the purpose of synods is to get people to express different views. So by comparing and contrasting, we can come to a better understanding of what the truth is. That's not going on here. Uh, this is why I, it's so sad, and I agree with Alex, the people who are trying to bring forward clarity and, and accountability regarding the Catholic teaching, they're the ones who are pushed aside, whereas the ones who aren't, the ones who are obfuscating and basically fraudulently making false claims, they're the ones, sad to say, who continue in their positions. Alex Torres, your thoughts? 
Um, uh, I'll take a little liberty here just to, uh, you know, I hate to read from my own book, but I'll, I'll, I'll protect myself here by saying it was actually my co-author who wrote this part. But uh, uh, Joe Recinello, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with it. Um, my co-author wrote, false brethren within the church always attempt to destroy the Eucharist, the liturgy that ornaments it, and the souls it was meant to feed and nourish. This, it was in our chapter on Jesus, and there's something Eucharistic about every single one of these heirs that— I, I mean, you look at it through history, too. Every single heresy, every single heir, every single schism, no matter what it is, there's something about the Eucharist at the center of it. And I, frankly, it's because the devil hates the Eucharist. The devil hates when people worthily receive communion because he knows that there's this mass infusion of grace. But the flip side of that is he actually loves it when people unworthily receive communion because, as we know from St. Paul, they, they, they eat condemnation on it themselves, essentially. Uh, so, so this is always going to be a factor of it. I think that it is this sort of hidden underlying thing. And, and I'm very happy that you pulled that up because communion, proper reception of communion really is at the core of so many of these debates. Is it a, a, your kind of ticket, your sign that, Hey, I'm a part of the church. Is it simply our food for the journey, no matter what part of the journey you're on, whether you kind of don't want to be on the journey or you really are on the journey towards uh, uh, towards heaven? Or is it something that the Lord gives his true faithful as a way to sustain us through our lives and to gather us up towards greater holiness when we're truly contrite for our sins and want to be in communion with God, right? How we understand the Eucharist matters so much, and there's mass confusion on this, especially mass confusion that so many people don't even understand that the Eucharist really is the body and blood of Christ. They don't really believe that, whether they say it or not. Uh, Father Gerald Murray, let me ask you this. Was Bishop Strickland uh, rather vocal in his criticism of the synodal process? He was. Uh... And, uh, yeah, he made that known. He's one of his gifts is an ability to speak clearly, and he wasn't hesitating to go on different media. Uh, yeah, so he was critical of uh, Synodality, but uh, that criticism was not unique to him. He was part of a large gathering of people who say that, but one instance, for instance, having lay people at a synod of bishops doesn't make no sense. Uh, you know, we, in the United States Senate, we don't have citizens walk in and, and vote with the senators. <laughs> you know, we got to get elected. Same thing with being a bishop. You're chosen by the church to be a bishop. And then that office is given to you at ordination directly from Christ. So, you know, the, the people who run the synod uh, asserted that having lay people there does not change the nature of the synod of bishops. It strengthens it. I totally disagree. I think that's a political dodge. It's it's the way people in politics do one thing and deny it by saying, no, we're strengthening what we originally set out. No, you're not. You're changing it. Now, why would they do that? We could, well, for two things, they don't want to say it's a mistake because they agree with the Pope uh, that it's good to have lay people voting in a synod. But on the other hand, they don't want the protesters to come up and say, you've changed what, what it is. So therefore, they, they say it or not. Is, is it wrong to bring all this out? <clears throat> I hope not, because that's what the whole church has done for its entire history. We never had lay people voting at synods. Now, we also, we always had lay people, uh, at least in modern times, advising the bishops. And this is great. Your radio program, most Catholic academics, they're all lay people. <laughs> we need you guys. We need people who are smart, informed, and orthodox. Uh, but we don't pretend that you're equal to a shepherd simply because you have some knowledge. And by the way, some of the people at that synod 
have no training to be there. In other words, they can't objectively and reasonably, who was a college student from Philadelphia, a nice person. What in the world, what, in what world do we say that Cardinal Muller, who's a theologian, has the same vote as a girl who's a college student and say that this represents an action of the Synod of Bishops? Wrong. It's a, so Sam Strickland was great. Cardinal Burke and others have criticized it. Nothing wrong with that. Isn't it strange that the, the dialogue crowd, as we're always told, what does a company mean? For instance, Pope said we got to company people. It means talking to them. <laughs> well, what do you, how can you talk to someone when you just threw them out of the building? So this is, this is where we are right now. Well, let me, let me, I'm going to throw it, I want to stay on the synod for a second, but I want to throw it over to Alec. Where, where's the dialogue, Alec? Notice who I mentioned Father Martin earlier. Will he, will he ever, ever in a million years be on the same program as, as Father Gerald Murray? I find this, you know, obviously there's very big differences, but I I, I see that I saw this so much in politics and I don't want to go and say that, you know, like people in the church are my political enemies or something like that. That is not how this works. We're in the same family here. We work things out differently. However, all the time when I was in politics, it was the same thing. Oh, let's talk about things. Oh, let's be nice. Oh, we need democracy. Well, what does all that mean? It means whatever the heck the media tells you that it means. And if you don't agree with their end, then you're a bigot, then you're undemocratic, then you're an authoritarian, whatever it is. I, I mean, I got used to being called a bigot and an authoritarian or whatever it is all the time just for the guy that I worked for. You know, they didn't know my opinions or anything about me. They just knew that I disagreed with them on, you know, whatever it was, abortion or immigration or you name it. And, and it's the same thing. You can see a process being set up in order to accomplish a particular end. Uh, and, and whenever that's the case, it's not necessarily wrong, right? If you know what if, – if, you know, things aren't supposed to be up for a debate. Certain things are not supposed to be up for a debate within the Catholic Church, right? So if a, if a pope or a bishop or a senate or whatever it is gathers up together and they know what the orthodox position is and they say that's not being touched, that's not being voted on, this is something that is, there's, that's totally fine. However, when you're purposefully setting up something in order to break open the process, in my view, as a lay Catholic, I'm not a bishop, I'm just looking at this as a rational observer, I see them attempting to get a particular goal that seems contrary to the truths of the faith, or at least that seems to muddle the truths of the faith. And when that's the purpose of it, it just it just really stinks of illegitimacy from the get-go. No matter what the canonical process is to me, I just see that from a political lens, and I'm like, this is politics. That, that's is ranked politics is how I see it. And, that, and that's honestly, that's what bothers me more than anything. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be frustrated by politics. We get enough of that, you know, just in our daily lives. I don't want that in the church. As we mentioned earlier, as Father mentioned, as Joe mentioned, clarity. I just want clarity. Okay, that, that's it. Just be clear in the teaching and I can make a, 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 I have the God gave me free will. I can make a choice whether or not I'm going to follow that teaching or not. And God help me if I don't. But Please just be clear. We we have limited time. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. I want to talk about a path forward. Uh, I want to throw out what I do. Obviously, you guys could affirm it or criticize it. I stick to first principles. I pray my rosary every day. I go to confession twice a month. Father Haggerty at St. Pat's, Father Murray, he's my confessor, great confessor, anyone who's in New York. Uh, I go to adoration an hour a week. I receive in the state of grace. I'm a father. I try my best to be one, a good husband. I give to the poor. I fast. I don't beat myself up, but I fast twice a week for the church and the world. That's what we can do. 
That is the path forward. That is what will give us eyes to see. And that is how we change the world, in my view. And a lot of this stuff, I don't have control over. And frankly, if I absorb into it and get into it, I get crazy. Father Murray, is that the path forward? What can the average guy do? And then Alec, what are your thoughts? Now, that is the path forward on the journey to heaven. And if you journey well toward heaven, you edify your neighbors and you and you give living expression to the teaching of the church. But I'll also say, Joe, you guys on the radio are doing something even more. You're, in other words, you're putting yourself out there into the public arena and you know, informing people and getting them motivated is a good thing. Now, in the life of the church, the Pope, uh, there was an incident with this bishop from Chile, Bishop Barros where he was accused of having abetted and done nothing to stop sexual abuse of uh, seminarians. And the Pope took his side and said, no, he's not guilty. The people of Chile rebelled against that, and they made it known to the Pope, and he sent an uh, investigative team. The investigative team came back, and Boros was removed, and the Pope admitted he had made a mistake. So that's how, we, and in a family, the omerta thing, you know, say nothing because you're going to annoy dad. <laughs> we don't do that. Uh, that's the way you create chaos. So, yes, average Catholic, if you are a devout practicing Catholic, inform yourself, listen to this program, listen to EWTN, and then, in the ways possible, make known that you support men like Strickland. The Vatican should be getting letters and emails saying, Bishop Strickland's a good man, bring him back. That's an example of what people can do. Same with Cardinal Burke. Why is the Cardinal of the Catholic Church being thrown out? Why is he? Is, it makes no sense that a Cardinal would have no salary. What in the world is this about? Here we are trying to feed the world in the third world, and now we're telling a Cardinal, we're not going to give you the, the money to buy your daily bread. This is nuts. People should tell that to the Holy See. No, Father, like you. Anyway, I could go on for a long time. Alec Torres, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all of that. Uh, you know, I, I'd say as well that uh, it, it's our words that matter too, but it's also our money, frankly. And uh, worldly people tend to think in worldly ways, and there are worldly people in the church because, you know, we have sinners in the church. So if you see your your uh, particular parish, if your priest is, is preaching something wrong, if your bishop is doing something wrong too, you do have an obligation to support the church. You don't necessarily financially, you don't necessarily have an obligation to support that church in that particular way. Give your money where it's going to do good work, where it's going to do good, holy, orthodox work. That's one way to express our voice. Another thing I would say to people is when you go, when you do that first part that you mentioned, uh, um, right in the beginning of this question, to, to clean up your own soul, to live out a life of holiness, to focus on God, to receive the sacraments and all of that, we can turn outward, not just to uh, to our leadership, but also to our fellow Catholics and even non-Catholics. Because so much of what matters here, I mean, this is the scandalous time. When when people, I'm surrounded by non-Catholics, you know, I, I live in Texas, it's a very Protestant place, and all the time people, even people who love me and respect the fact that I'm Catholic, they're like, how can you be Catholic? I, I mean, it seems like your leaders are crazy. Uh, it seems like they're saying things that are totally unchristian, and not just the stuff that normal Protestants and Catholics disagree on, but really, you know, the fundamental easy things. Um, you know, how can you be Catholic? 
I have to be prepared to answer those questions. I have to be, and I can't just say, you know, we, we understand this when it comes to things like sex abuse or something like that. We don't just say, oh, well, we don't talk about that. No, we say sex abuse is wrong. I don't agree with the people who allowed this to happen or who did it. And they need to be, uh, th there needs to be justice done in those situations. Same thing can happen on doctrine, you know, be charitable, sure, but we should be able to say, no, what this person said was wrong. Doesn't matter if he's a bishop or a cardinal or a pope. Doesn't matter. We need to be able to say it was wrong. We need to be able to express what is right. And then we need to tell people in all of that why we still choose to be Catholic, why we don't leave the church, even when we disagree with our leaders. The testament of our obedience, our Catholicity, our orthodoxy in this confusing time, staying in the church through all of that and being able to express that to other people will do immense work. People will see that that doesn't just come from human beings. We would leave if it was just a human institution. There's no reason to stick around in something as crazy as this. But they will see our faith, and that will plant seeds for them that can hopefully bring other people to Christ. So, yeah, live it out, speak it out, and express it to people. It can just be your family members, your friends. It could be a whole radio program if that's what you've got. Whatever platform you have, you're around other people, and you have an obligation to be able to tell them about your faith well. I, I will end with this, and I'm glad you said that, Alec. One of the remedies, one of the things we could do, Joe mentioned, obviously, ABCs. But read some history, man. When you're getting discouraged, we mentioned earlier St. John Fisher, go read the history of the church, okay? Go go read what's gone on in certain eras in the church. That Okay, this is, seems to be a rather unique time, okay? But it's not unprecedented, all right? And there are examples, as you wrote in your book, Persecuted from Within, which I would recommend anybody out there, Alec Torres uh, is the author of Persecuted from Within, How the Saints Endured Crises in the Church. Go read history. Go read Alec's book, all right? And, and you'll be encouraged to know this is not altogether unique. We have we have a, a, a pathway forward, as, as Joe mentioned earlier. Father, real quick, what do you got going on? Where could our audience members uh, follow you, social media, and all that fun stuff? Sure, yeah. Uh, EWTN, of course, uh... World Over with Raymond Arroyo on YouTube. I also write a monthly column at thecatholicthing.org and also at Human Life Review. So check out those areas and uh, thanks for everybody who prays and are able to support us priests as uh, we carry on the work of the church. Absolutely. Alec, how about you? Uh, I have to admit, I'm a ghostwriter by training. I would still be a ghost if I could, but for some reason, the Lord called me out to do other things. So I just say, people, if you can, get the book. You know, I'm not making any money off of this, I got to admit. It was a labor of love for the church. So so I'm just hoping it saves some souls and does some good work with that history. And if for some reason the Lord calls me out to be public again, uh, well, heck, I'll be on your show. Hey, listen, and you know that you're more than welcome. Father Gerald Murray, Alec Torres, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're friends of the show. You grace us by coming on. Um, and this is a great conversation. Please, if you're seeing this, especially on social media, share it, share it, share it. Keep sharing it, okay? Because this was a very informative conversation. Why? Because Joe and I are great? No, because Father Murray and Alec are. And they really, really opened our eyes uh, about this whole situation. We thank you both very much for coming on the show. Obviously, you know, you're welcome back here anytime. Thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. And um, remember, download the app and share it with your friends. We are an EWTN affiliate, so you'll have access to all of our station's content, not just the original programming. Thank you once again. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.